Amen. Nice to see you guys. Um, man, 8.30 was fun. I think we're going to have fun today, too. Uh, if you go ahead and reference, we're going to be in Acts 22, 1 through 29. Those of you that are, guys that are new, you can pull up our whole study on our app or on the website. Follow along with us. We have all the verses there. Um, men's Bible study, ladies' Bible study is going really well. If you're new and you want to come see how we do things, that's the best thing to come to. We literally do the group Bible study, like Pastor Johnny was talking about, and then we break off into an assimilation of what we do in our discipleship groups. Uh, DGs, we've got 50 plus of them now. We're going to have more this fall. We really do believe that discipleship is the lifeblood of a church. Um, and from that health in the church, this is where we send missionaries from. This is where we send church plants from. So for those of you that are maybe interested in planting a church one day, you're in the right place. For those of you that are interested in doing missions, you're in the right place. Um, this, is a, this, is, this is a really good thing. I love discipleship. Um, I've been doing it for years and years. And I do believe that all of us in God's grace should have a Timothy, somebody we're speaking into, and we should have a Paul, somebody that's speaking into us. It's the accountability, it's the connectivity of the body, and it really does just move you forward in a beautiful way. Okay, so uh, praise God for that. Here's where we'll start today with the, with, the, with the word of the day, rejection. You excited now? Is that, is that a, a great word for us to work with? Rejection, yay! Okay, uh, rejection. It's the worst. It's the living worst, Amen. It's, it's, it stinks to be rejected by a friend. It stinks to be rejected by your child, by your spouse, by a parent, by a coworker, by a boss, whatever. Um, I remember the first time I asked a girl out and got rejected. I felt like, well, that's it for me. I'm never going to get married. Like, that's, that's all, okay? Um, we don't want it. And we also, because we're mostly Americans, we don't expect it. Okay, we just think that it's something in the ether for others instead of us. If you get rejected, by our definition, you're a loser. If you don't and you get accepted, you're awesome. Isn't that how we think? So this past week, I got woken up by the Lord, 4 or 5 a.m., and I, and I, I began to, I heard in my mind, uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I literally had to wake up and reference it and, and pull up the song. And what's interesting about God's joy, uh, and you could, it could be a synonym for happiness in some regards in some texts, God's joy is not based on something he acquires. It's based on who he completely is. Your joy is based on what you acquire. My joy is baseless. So we have a good week. Uh, we get along with all our friends and family. Uh, everything's perfect with the spouse. Our kids are just shiny, happy people. We're joyful because we've acquired things and therefore it's defined us. God does not need that. So if you're in a space this week that we're going to see Paul in, that he's going to share the gospel with people that want to murder him, they're going to reject him, spoiler alert, if you happen to read Acts 21. That's what's going to happen. If you've been rejected and you're in this space, there's good news for you. Christ was rejected too. And God the Father was rejected also. And it did not squelch the Godhead's joy at all. At all. Because he is a being unto himself. So you and I, as his created people, we can come under that authority. 
on hard days, we can say the joy of the Lord is our strength. Not if I get accepted today, that's not my strength. That's a false pretense. What we can say is my day stinks right now, but the joy of God is what I live on, not my accomplishments. Here's the deal. We have to risk vulnerability. And when we do this, we expose ourselves. You can be rejected. The bigger issue though is if you don't chance it. The bigger issue is if you just get into a place where you're just completely safe and not obedient. So here what Dr. Luke, who wrote Acts, where we are today, what he says in his, his gospel, chapter 10. The one who hears me, this is Jesus talking, the one who hears me, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Let me just say before I explain that verse that the power of a family, mom and dad, grandparents, that's a good thing too, but mom and dad is the most crucial piece of a family's connective. If they come around a child and show them protection and care and faithfulness and we are with you, we are for you, we are behind you, not in a weird I worship you type of a way, but in a I worship God and we have you and I will die for you. When you do that to a child, they understand and comprehend that they have a team behind them. And listen, most of the time, you can spend five minutes with the 21-year-old, and I can tell you whether or not they come from a two-parent home. They're different people. So for those of us that come from broken and rejection backgrounds, there is hope in our families that we can choose to put that curse away and build a heritage of confidence in Christ. So when you, Christian, step out to speak the truth and make it rejected, you have Jesus the Son behind you. And you have God the Father behind him. And you have the Holy Spirit all around you. You will be rejected. Just get over it. Now get to it and obey. Acts 22, 1 through 29. Let me pray. Ask the Lord to speak to us. It's really just a continuation of the story. There are some aha moments. Uh, I just ask you to embrace your nerd side today. We'll look at some details. The Holy Spirit will speak and we'll call it a day. All right, let's pray. Oh, Lord, open our eyes that we might see you. We, we are emotionally feeble. We are spiritually weak. We're fragile. We all, a lot of our joy and happiness is based on us being accepted, us being given good things. Obviously, then that means you love us. And when we are rejected, we're bad. We're not good. We don't feel loved. Forgive us. Lord, forgive us, Lord. You, Jesus, our senior pastor, were, was rejected. You were rejected over and over and over again, all the way to the cross. Thank you, Lord, for being willing to be rejected. Thank you, Lord, for being rejected for our salvation. Open our eyes that we might see our brother Paul as he seeks to speak to a people that wanted to rip him limb from limb. In your name we pray, almighty God, amen. Last week, we left Paul. He'd come back to give an offering to the Jerusalem church. Uh, he's almost talked into doing that, which he said you didn't have to, gospel plus sacrifices. He gets arrested on the way to do this. They're ready to rip him up because we will see today in the text that when um, someone is given the truth, you have to realize that you've been believing a lie. And that's a hard that's a hard transition for most people. 
He asked to speak to the crowd that wants to kill him, and the centurion lets him do it. Here's what he says. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. Paul spoke Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic that we know of. He probably spoke more languages than that. He was seeking in this moment to be all things to all people. He wasn't compromising the gospel. He was telling the truth, but he was seeking to connect with them on a deeper level so that they could see and meet Jesus. Verse 3, he continued, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strictness of our ancestral law. I was zealous for God, just like all of you are today. From Tarsus, but raised in Jerusalem, he had the Harvard education of the day, okay? Best education available. People knew who Gamaliel was. Who was Gamaliel? Uh, he basically had a PhD in Jewish law. He's a leader of the Sanhedrin. His father was in the Sanhedrin, and his grandfather was in the Sanhedrin. Do you have anybody in your life like that that just has a pretty impressive resume, all right? Which is pretty impressive, right? Most of us don't have an impressive resume. There's good news for us too, okay? Um, verse four, I persecuted this way to the death. Now listen, before I read this, Christians, don't hear it as just something you've heard a lot. Listen to the details of this. I, was perse I persecuted this way, or they called it the way, um, to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail as both the high priest and the whole council of elders, the Sanhedrin, can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those who were there and bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. Christianity was called the way, okay? Um, that's not a new thing, that's an old thing. Paul was sharing his testimony, and listen to me, his testimony was horrible. It was horrible. It was rough. What was Paul guilty of? He was a murderer. He stood there and watched them stone Stephen to death. And I'll tell you this, his response as they were stoning Stephen was not, hey guys, please don't do that. His response was probably vehement, demonic, throw more rocks kill him. How dare he come against our law? He was a murderer. He was guilty of throwing men and women into jail, which meant what? He was also guilty of making orphans. When kids back then didn't have a family support system to watch over them, they're on the street, okay? Uh, you, you see this around the world. We do have a homeless situation here in the United States, but it pales in comparison to what you see if you go to Africa today or South America, or Asia. It's very different, okay? This was this situation. Kids literally would have a home. Paul would come in and, and take their mom and dad, throw them in jail forever, and the kids were on the street. He was guilty. His testimony was horrible. How many of y'all have hard testimonies? I do. I don't like to share it anymore. The more I know Jesus, the more I'm embarrassed about what I chose to do. The more I, I love Jesus and the more I realize every day, oh my gosh, I'm even a bigger sinner than I thought I was and I'm doing less than I used to do. I need Jesus. 
And when I'm around him more and his light, it really shines on my darkness, on my issues. I don't like to share my testimony, but we will see from Paul today that you have to. You have to share your testimony, church. Not as war stories, but as an opportunity that we'll see in the word in a minute that it shines light on Christ, that he focuses on the capacity to redeem and forgive and make new and forgive. Check this out instantly. That's just a little precursor right there. Now, here's the time frame where Paul was. His salvation was AD 37. That's when, that's when he was knocked off the horse. This is what he's talking about right now, the road to Damascus. When he's sharing this, this is 20 years later. 20 years. What's he been doing for 20 years? Being obedient, missing it sometimes, having hard days, having hard conversations, getting beaten, thrown in jail, shipwrecked, snakes biting him and stuff. That's the one that bothered me the most, okay? <laughs> this has been his life for 20 years. He is an obedient soul. He's obeying the Lord. What are the things that happened to you 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago that you don't want to talk about? Maybe you're called to do so now. Again, not, not for any personal glory. As you walk with Christ more, you're more around light. And when you're around light a lot, you don't want to be in the dark anymore. Amen? But we have to talk about where we come from sometime in order to focus people on the light they're called to. Um, Matthew 5, 16. Check it out. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It is important that non-believers see you do good works. It, it, that's important. It's, it, it's good to be moral. It's good to have high ethics. It's good to work hard. It's good to love your spouse and love your children and love your neighbors. That's all really good. But Paul right here was sharing Christ's light through explaining his past. He was identifying with them. Why? Because they were all bound up in legalism. And you and I run across people all the time that are all bound up in different things. Amen? Yesterday, I'm hanging out at the gym, and I'm, I'm bu building this relationship with a new trainer. He's really cool. I like him. He has a friend with him. And they don't know me from Adam, right? So we're just hanging out talking. And their language was, it'd make a sailor's ears bleed. Like, it was phenomenal how bad it was. Now, I don't care for that, but I, it wasn't in me to say, hey, guys, hey, guys, stop talking. That dishonors God. I'm not going to say that because they're non-Christians. So what my job the whole time was is to figure out how can I love and care for these guys without compromising my gospel integrity and be prepared to give a reason to them for the hope that I have. So you, you, sometimes it's a build Sometimes it's a process, and sometimes you still get rejected. Was Paul letting his light shine in this moment as he was sharing his history? Yes, he was shining Christ's light through his darkness. This is where I come from. I know you're in this space too. There's hope for you because the people that God is calling right now, church, they, they are hungry for change. There's something, listen, you talk to most addicts on the street they're tired of being there, but they don't know how to get out. They don't 
know how to get out. And what you're offering in your grace and your mercy and your care is a hand. That's what giving the gospel is. Sharing our dark times make the light of Christ so much brighter. And he can't be any more brighter. That's not what I'm saying. So I don't want to get an email about that this week, okay? What I am saying is that when we come from a place of like, I was just like you, and I still struggle just like you, but let me show you my Savior. He is perfect. And his joy is not contingent on anything he gets. It is absolute already in who he is. Verse 10, I said, what should I do? Let's see. Yes. Verse 10, I said, what should I do, Lord? The Lord told me. Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Did I skip something? No. Did I skip six? No. All right, let me go back. Sorry. I'm getting very excited. <laughs> Verse six, as I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, which was his Jewish name. Paul was his Greek name. Why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? Like this guy, Saul, was persecuting anybody that followed Jesus. He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you're persecuting. Now, this is just a side note. Isn't it interesting that Jesus identifies his, himself as of, of, of Nazareth? Isn't that interesting? Like, and where is, he's already risen and seats at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. What was Jesus doing in that moment? He was identifying with Paul. He was letting him know that I know where you come from. I come from there too. It was Jesus doing it. Now those who were with me, they were with Saul, saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Um, man, verse 10. I said, what should I do, Lord? The Lord, notice that Paul has already switched from not even questioning Jesus and his way, but coming under the authority of his way and calling him Lord. The Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. He does not give him the whole plan. He gives him the first step and tells him to obey. Obedience, like it's hurting, it's cultivating. Paul has had obedience cultivate in him through the law. Now he's having the truth and obedience cultivate in him through grace. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and saw him, saw the murderer, saw the, uh, the horrible, horrible person is knocked off his horse and struck blind. For three days, Acts 9 says he couldn't see. He didn't eat or drink. Now, Ananias is a local believer, and God speaks to Ananias and says, here's the deal, bro. I want you to go and speak to Saul. And Ananias' response was like, uh, I've heard of him. Not sure I want to do that. He's scared half to death. So he doesn't come in to speak to Saul like, Saul, God has sent me. He's probably like, uh, hey, Saul, my name's Ananias. And, uh, but then he lays hands on him and scales fall off his eyes and he can see. Here's what happens. And he said, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth, from whose mouth? 
Christ's mouth, since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, check it out. 16 is important. Christians, we gloss over this. And now, why are you delaying? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Here's the deal. For the people that may reject you, but may later accept Christ, forgiveness is instantaneous. That's really good news. All right? That's really good news. How do we treat forgiveness as a process? We say, the Lord's going to forgive me, but there's a lot of things I need to work out. Yeah, you do need to work out a lot of things. Me too, every day, probably till we die. But forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, is instant. This dude's a murderer. He's a separator of families. Calls kids to be orphans. He's a bad person. What should happen to him? I'm sure a few of you could think of a few choice situations to put a person like this in. God's choice for him was to forgive him completely and instantaneously. The witness of the believer for Christ is also instant. God didn't say, now be quiet for a while. He goes off to seminary training for three years. We've already read that. But he tells him to give credit right now for the hope that he has. Um, Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, also Paul in Colossians, Corinthians, all say to be forgiven, we must forgive. That's without saying, okay? But I want to read you a passage that slows it down a little bit and explains the mechanics of God's understanding of his forgiveness for you. This is a big deal. You, you really should pull this up and dare I say, even memorize it this week. Psalm 103, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Somebody say amen right now. Golly, what have you earned, church? What have you earned based on your sin? That's That's horrifying. Why? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Steadfast love. The kind of love we're talking about that our children need from us. I love you no matter what. I love you forever. I will not leave you. I am here for you. I do not worship you, but I worship God and you need to come with me. I will protect you. I will care for you. I am a lover of your little heart, regardless of when you sin against me and your mom or dad. This is what God says to us. Like, yeah, you struggle with sin, church. And you have steadfast love upon you. You're not making God more joyful one day and less joyful the next. It is steadfast. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is a steadfast love toward those who fear him. See that? As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father, there it is. As a father, as a mother, shows compassion to their children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Romans 8 says you're only family if you suffer with him. Okay? So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he, check it out. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God is very aware of the fact that you are incredibly fragile. 
God is well aware of the fact that you are made of dust and that your capacity to trust him on the daily basis is virtually impossible outside of the presence of his Holy Spirit. You are needy, kind of like a, I don't know, one and a half year old uh, in a high chair, right? Like, you understand, if you don't take them out, they'll stay there and die. They can't get out. They need you, okay? They, we need Christ. We need Almighty God. He gets that we are fragile, and he chooses to forgive us anyway. Somebody say amen. amen. Verse 17, after our return to Jerusalem, now Paul's coming back. He, he had left Jerusalem to go to Damascus to persecute under the care and endorsement of the local demonic religious leadership. And now he's coming back and has a different message. After I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him telling me, Jesus telling him, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. They will not accept your testimony about whom? About Je Jesus is saying, they've already uh, rejected me. They're gonna reject you. But I said, this is, this is Saul who's Paul. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. He's talking to Jesus about just a, a short time ago that he was at odds with him. He's talking to the one he did not believe in. Now he believes. This is the hope of salvation we have to give. We know people that don't believe in Jesus at all. We want them to know Jesus. Do you? Do you want it, church? This is where we have to walk out this process. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, he's talking about him being there. I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. Now think about this just for a second. Imagine you being present of somebody being murdered in front of you. And your response was not um, to do something about it. We're not talking about a bad person. We're talking about good persons. Just some thugs come out of nowhere and begin to beat somebody to death. And you stand there and you do nothing. How do you think Paul was saying this right now? Was he saying it like he was just something he memorized. I think he was saying like this. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. I was there, Lord. Let me stay. I'm ready to give my blood. This was his response. He was burdened. I think Paul probably thought about it every day. He probably thought about people that his whole ministry still could be in jail because he had thrown them there. His salvation, his salvation was greater than his suffering. The tooth he had been looking for all of his life had found him and saved him. He would never be the same. This has to define us in today's economy, y'all. Has to. Verse 21. He said to me, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles, right? This Paul's, most of his life is spent on missionary journeys going to Gentiles. So he was the super educated, white collar Jewish guy sent to um, Gentiles outside the church. Peter was the blue collar fisherman, I'll fight you right now, um, who actually ministered predominantly 
to the upper class Jews. Very interesting. Now, I included in your notes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven verses of separate passages in Acts where Paul was was treated poorly. Like, this wasn't his first rodeo. Like, he wasn't like nine for 10 in sharing the gospel. And then, you know, whoops, these guys didn't like him. It happened all the time. Here's a few of them. Acts 9, he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. I mean, when's the last time you've been in a conversation when somebody is thinking about murdering you for what you're saying? Some of us have been there. Acts 14, 5. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rules to mistreat and to stone them, they wanted to stone Paul. Acts 16. The crowd rose up against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Acts 18. There's three or four more. The crowd's response to the truth was rejection. Why? Well, here's the deal. Here's what I want you to chew on. To accept a truth you are unaware of means you are in error. And a lot of us have major problems with that. To accept the truth in any situation, any paradigm you think of right now, it means that you are in error. It also means one of two things. You have been deceived or you have chosen deception. And this is what will really make you mad in your flesh. Because, listen, I've met a lot of people, and I've been one of them, that you know you're wrong in, in an area of your life. You know you're wrong in a choice you're making, but your response is, I just want this to be okay. So when somebody comes to you and says, hey, man, I heard that you were speaking to your wife, or I, I saw you at the party, or this business deal, whatever, your response is like, you don't know what you're talking about. You get vehemently angry, which is what we see, because you are uncomfortable with the reality of truth. And this is how they felt. Verse 23, as they were yelling and flinging aside their garments and throwing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, directing that he be interrogated with the scourge, which is a real good way to interrogate you, by the way, to discover the reason they were shouting against him like this. The barracks that they were going to take him into a little bit ago to safeguard him, Paul comes back out to speak to the crowd. He incenses the crowd to more violence and now what the commander has decided to do is like, he must be guilty. Like, we're going to beat him until he tells us what he's done. That's basically what happens. Here's what we need to know about this. Sin at its core. If you, if you, if you put an entity upon sin at its core, it is a liar, okay? And all lies have murderous intent. All lies have murderous intent, because by definition, what a lie wants to do is wants to create another reality of what should be instead of what is, okay? It wants to eliminate anything that stands in its way. Our responsibility, again, is to shine light on darkness. How do we do that? We tell the truth, and we join Jesus in rejection. And one day, we join Jesus in glory. That's the plan. As they stretched him out for the lash, and literally what they would do, like look at the post in the middle of the room. They could have tied his hands around that. They could have tied his feet down. It could have been more of a plank or something, but potentially it was that. They stretched him out so they could really just catch every inch of his body with probably the cat of nine tails, which was this leather whip that had these long little strands that had rocks and glass sewn into leather straps. And when they whipped him, they could pull it. It would pull the flesh off. That's what they did to Jesus. 
As he stretched him out for the lash, Paul said to the centurion standing by, is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and is uncondemned? Now, what's interesting about this, the Romans were a very interesting people. They were murderous. They were violent. They were sexually abusive and scandalous and just immoral as the day is long. But they had a pretty strong governmental system. And they operated chain of command. So Paul is saying to the commander right now, he's like, hey, uh, just before you beat me, are you allowed to do that to a Roman citizen? When the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander saying, what are you going to do for this man is a Roman citizen? Like the, the, the centurion didn't want anything to do with it anymore because he understood there was protocol. Commander came and said to Saul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, I bought the citizenship for a large amount of money. Paul responds, but I was born a citizen. Paul said, which means that Paul was in an upper echelon even than the commander. He's just letting him know that. Very interesting. Verse 29. So those who are about to examine him, examine him. Those who are about to beat him, withdrew from him immediately. The commander too was alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and he had bound him. You have to come back next week to see what happens next. Every time I've said that, I feel like I'm watching Batman again as a kid with the dude that had no muscle tone at all, whatever his name was. And he would say, tune in next week, same bat channel, same bat time, okay? So I hope you're into the story today. You can read ahead because Bibles are awesome and you can do that. Um, but it's all the time I have. Uh, the Romans had more respect for Paul's citizenship than what he said. And in today's economy, people respect more of what you have than what you know. What's more impressive in our two-inch deep mindset in our country is the things you have. If you have a lot of Instagram followers, obviously you're the chosen. If you have a big car and a big house and a pretty spouse and kids that are awesome and you went to Vail last year and you have a summer home and wherever, then obviously you have been chosen by God. You are the desired ones. Now, nothing's wrong with any of that stuff. If you're tired of any of that, you can give it to me. I will go, okay? But the issue is when we're worshiping the things that the people have instead of the knowledge that the people know, that's where you know we're upside down. This is what I would leave you with. Non-Christians, come to Christ out of need because you are needy, you are fragile, and you are dust. Come to Christ because your way doesn't work anymore, because your addictions are consuming. I know, I get it. There's many ex-addicts and present addicts in here. We know it's a giant monster that will consume you and your family. Come to Christ because you want to be loved and valued. You want to have a God behind you that's like, where you go, I will go. What you experience, I will. If you get, if you get rejected, I will be rejected. I will be with you. Don't come to Christ because you're expected to. It will be a false salvation, okay? Don't come to Christ because all your friends and family are doing it. You will enmesh yourself. I was having a conversation uh, with one of our new folks before this service about the religiosity of legalism and how it can envelop you into just a, a, a silence you don't even understand, okay? 
Come to Christ at a need. For Christians, I would say this. Be less of a buddy and more of a real friend to your communities. A lot of y'all can't tell me you love some of your friends and family because you have not told them the truth. That means you love you and you just don't want them to not like you. Okay? And I get it. I do understand. I I want my family to love and like me too. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in and fills the believer with the right times to speak and the right times to be quiet, the right times to give, the right times to serve, and the right time to die. This is your calling. It defines you as Jesus' family. May the Lord bless the the study of his word today. Thank you for being here. Communion team, y'all come on up. I'll pray and uh, and we'll observe uh, communion together. We'll call it a day. Almighty God, thank you for thank you for just the study of your word today. As we see, we're fragile. We're not strong like we think we are. We're not resilient like we think we are. We have very thin veneers. We need you, Holy Spirit. Apart from you, we have nothing. Because of you, we have everything. And we are a part of your family. And we will get rejected, Lord. We will get told no. We will get told that we are foolish. But man, if we're rejected, then we join you in some micro-sufferings there, Lord Jesus. We join our, our older brother, Paul, as he is rejected. Open our eyes that we might see. Guide us, Lord, into just worship through thankfulness and praising your name and desiring to obey. Help our disobedience, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Church, when you're ready, you can come to the center aisle. Come down front.